Welcome to the Financial Coaches Network, a show to help financial coaches build and grow successful coaching businesses by focusing on the three pillars, getting clients, working with clients, and running the business. I'm Garrett Fulbin. Over the first four years as a coach, I grew a successful financial coaching business to over 80K in annual revenue. And I'm Joshua Escalante Troche. As a tenured professor of entrepreneurship and a consultant, during the past two decades, I've helped more than a thousand entrepreneurs start and grow their businesses. So get that pen and paper ready or open up the notes app on your phone. It's time to build your ideal financial coaching business. This week on Financial Coaches Network podcast, we're going to be doing a state of coaching. We've done a survey of people and what their coaching programs look like, how long they are and what they do in each of them. And so we'll be going over that survey, hopefully to help you think more clearly and deeply about how you want to develop your coaching. Welcome to Financial Coaches Network podcast, Emily and Emily. What are we talking about this week? Today's a really exciting day because it's podcast episode 100, which is kind of crazy. So today we are diving into the first inaugural, the state of financial coaching. Emily, you talk about the survey because you know more about that than I do. Yeah. So we, we did a survey. It was a year ago. I looked it up. It was, uh, we started it in November of 2022 and we finished it in January of 2023. So I have to call it the 2023 survey, maybe because it's when it finished. And we sent the survey just to past and current members of Financial Coaches Network. So people that had been through launch or were currently going through launch at the time. And we focused on really just on the program. So we asked coaches about the programs that they offer to clients. And so this one was very specific. We were looking for feedback to help us create our grow products. And, and so we were really specific in what we we're looking for. When we do the next survey, we're going to broaden it and ask a lot more questions. So next year's survey is going to be a little more interesting, but we do have some interesting information to share from this one. Well, it's yeah. not that next year's survey isn't going to be more interesting. It's going to be more comprehensive. <laughs> more comprehensive. Okay. Yeah, you're right. This, year, this year is interesting too, and we can't predict, but it will cover more a wider variety of topics. Yes. So the, the questions that we asked were really around what, wh- how long is your program? What do you do in each meeting? What is your first meeting? What is your second meeting? Really to, to see if we can get some data around, you know, when people are developing a program that's based on the needs of a client rather than taking a program that is sort of developed for the generic person and then pushed out when people like develop individual things, are there any commonalities that we see that have come out of thinking about what the actual needs of the client are and then developing a program that is really specific to those needs? Yeah, so that is the results of the survey. Let's take a look at some of the answers, or that's the purpose of the survey. Let's take a look at some of the answers. What what did we learn from that survey? Okay, so you want me to share, right? Yes. Yeah. And for those of you who are in podcast land, I'm going to describe all of the things as we go through it. So don't worry, you're not going to have to be going into the Facebook group to find the old live video recording of it. It might be worth sharing the link to the live in the show notes, though, since there is a more visual aspect to this one than sometimes to make it easier to find. But Yeah. yeah, all right, let's get into it. 
Nice. I'm excited. I'll be I'll be completely transparent. I'm in the same place as everybody listening. I haven't seen the results, or if I have, I don't remember them. So I'm excited to see what Josh and Emily have been looking at. I think I saw them maybe once or twice. I think we reviewed it together once during a team meeting, and I think we concluded, oh, it's chaos. Everything is everybody's different. But then when we when we dove in more, when when Josh and I met separately and said, okay, let's see if we can try to make some sense of the chaos. Mm-hmm. I actually, did find some trends. So okay. that's. What- but she hasn't heard this. So, so maybe I, I saw it and just said, okay, it was chaos and decided yeah. I didn't care. But now I'm excited to hear about the sense made of the chaos. <laughs> so the, the first question we asked is, what are the lengths of the programs you offer? And what you, if you were in the chart, what the data shows is that it is all over the place. The most common answer, the most common one is three months. And this likely is driven by, with about 60% of people saying three months. This is most likely driven by three-month and six-month programs are the two that you see most likely out there. We've got the second most common is one month or less. And these are likely driven by people who offer like one-time sessions. And then it's pretty, the next two are six months and greater than 12 months. And the rest are just kind of all over the place. (laughs) I see two months. I see four months. I see five months. I see 12 months. Yeah. And when we delve into the further questions, you'll start to realize that there's a lot more overlap between the three-month and the six-month program, or even between the three-month and the five-month program than you might think. But definitely the most common ones are one month or less or three months. Second question is, how long is your primary program? And as we look at that, we see pretty much the same breakdown. When the first question, you could answer all of them, right? So 60% of people had a three-month program. 30% of people had a one-month program. But as we look at what is your primary program, we see a much, much stronger trend toward shorter periods of time. So the three-month, two-month, or one-month or less categories make up right around four, five, six, 65%. So three months or less make up right around 65% of the primary programs. So what we're seeing is coaches are developing programs that are much shorter in length. Six months is only about 25% of the categories. Another 8.3 is five months. So we see another grouping right around there. And then primary programs, that tiny little sliver. uh, I honestly can't even see it. Yeah. And it may not even be a sliver. It may just be no one marked any other months for that. I don't think they did. Okay. So when we when we look at that idea, you know, the, what we're seeing is a very strong trend toward pretty much everyone does three month or less programs. And then the second trend is right around a six month program. Small percentage of people have a slightly shorter than six month program. What this suggests, what this suggests is that most people, when they're developing it for the needs of individual clients, are identifying that shorter programs are better for the needs of their clients, or at least 
when they first start developing them. When you think about your programs, Emily and Emily, what, how does this align with what you guys do and why did you choose what you did? Yeah, I mean, I started off actually with a primary program that was six months. And then I realized that we got the bulk of what needed to be done in the first three months. And but at that point, it made sense to transition to like a quarterly program. And so, because I use Money Coach. And so I actually changed my program to a three-month program, which is funny. It was like before we got these results, even I had switched to that. So it aligns very well with this. Yep, I would agree with that, that the... The primary focus is sort of a sprint at the beginning, kind of like launch. I totally just made this connection, but a big push at the beginning. And then assuming the clients still want to keep working together, there's still things to be done. You're using money coach, whatever, sort of spread that out to meeting a little bit less often and be like, all right, we got this first thing done. We got that checked off. And now we expand out, which would not be the primary program at that point. It would be a secondary or ongoing or however you want to think about it. I also think, and this is very much not research-based, so Josh, you can tell me the research, I'm sure. It seems like asking somebody to commit to 12 months seems like a lot. I don't know what my life's going to look like in a year. That seems like a lot. Whereas three months, it's like, oh yeah, just a couple months, we can do that. Seems like a shorter time commitment is, I mean, it is less of a commitment. And there's also the psychological feeling of it being less of a commitment. And now you can tell me if the research backs that up or not. Well, and they're excited about it in the beginning, not excitement, obviously is the right word, but they're ready to work on it in the beginning. And then they kind of lose that momentum over time, which is why I switched to the three-month program. So they're okay with meeting quarterly later or yearly even, like, hey, let's do a yearly look at your budget. But that intensity of meeting more frequently, it's the newness. It's hard to get them to commit to that once you've kind of gotten past those first few months. So there's two sets of research that kind of speak to this. And each of you kind of identified a different set. The first one, which is less of a client results implication and more of a sales implication Mm -hmm. is what Emily had said, which is it's hard to get people to commit to a year. And it's not even about, I don't know what it looks like a year from now. It's about, I don't even like dating people for more than three months. So why would I commit to working with you, right? People (laughs) don't like having these long-term engagements until they get into it. And so when we we look at this idea, that has very much a sales implication, which Mm -hmm. is when you try to push a longer program, you're going to have a harder time closing the sale. Now, I'm not saying you can't do it. I'm not saying you can't be wildly successful with it but it is going to be harder. It's easier for people to say yes to something that's a short-term thing than it is to say yes to something that's a long-term thing. Now, once they've worked with you for a while, then it's easier to ask a long-term thing, right? It's the whole walking up to somebody at a bar and asking them to marry you. Unlikely to work very often. If you wait three to six months, it's a lot more likely that they're going to say yes to a long I, I would even go a step back, which is, although I, yes, that's absolutely a, an apt analogy. I would go a step back and say, think about when you're going on a first date with someone, mm-hmm. how long do you want that first date to be? You yeah. probably don't want to to a six hour first date. And if you do, or if the date continues that long, that's a really good sign. Yeah. So you probably want to commit to something much shorter. Now, the second date, if the first date really went really well, you're probably willing to commit to a longer second date. The other set of research is what 
Emily talked about, which is the excitement. When you have a six-month program, assuming that you actually provide value in the six-month program. Now, this doesn't, this isn't saying your program automatically stops at three months. This is the primary part of your program, that onboarding where you're meeting often is three months long. When you have a six-month program, assuming that you don't have a bunch of wasted time in the last three months, that means that some of your wins for the client happen in months four, five, and six. And that is a long time to wait. People need to have wins early. And the longer they wait for the wins, the less energy they have to continue, the less likely they are to actually implement it in their lives. And so when we look at these, it's, it, it very much ties in with shorter programs are going to end up with greater client success because we're con concentrating the wins into a shorter period of time. Um, I will tell you, I don't do the budgets until we do the budget later in the process than some people, than clients want. And the reason why is because you can't really build the budget and tell them. So we create like a, a fake temporary budget up front because clients want to have, hey, let's just start working on the budget. Okay, but we have no idea about anything yet. We don't even know how much you pay for rent. I don't care. Let's just start working on the budget, right? Yep. And so even just waiting a month, an extra month for the budget is oftentimes difficult for clients to maintain that enthusiasm. And so I think those are both of those are reasons why you see shorter programs being developed over time, at least for the primary onboarding of we're going to check all the major boxes and then we'll switch to like you said, less frequency, just sort of maintenance stuff. Mm -hmm. Makes sense. All right, yeah, what's next? The budget thing, because it, I've had every, sing, every single client that I've tried to say, like, well, let's wait on that. They just, no, I really need that. Yeah. Let's do something. Let's start it. <laughs> yeah. So we create a fake one that we know is going to be completely wrong and worthless, but it helps <laughs> keep the momentum up. How do clients I, react to that? Because I'm assuming you don't tell them that it's going to be totally fake and worthless, or maybe- Oh, I totally do. Okay. So what I say is, you know, we're going to, we're going to create a budget. Everything in the budget is going to be wrong, right? This is not a, um, this is not going to be your final budget. We're going to revise it again in a month when we have the actual information that we need to actually build the budget correctly, but we can at least get started with some key things. It'll give us an opportunity for you to ask questions that might be top of mind for you. And if we do see anything that we glaringly see, hey, we should probably change this, right? We can bring those things up. 98% uh, of the budget that we're going to create right now is wrong. The 2% will still give you some things that you can, that we can talk about and give you an opportunity to ask about things that will be, are important to you personally, right? Um, so yeah, I totally tell them it's worthless from a budget standpoint, yep. but the exercise is helpful for other things. Yeah. And I assume they respond well to that or you wouldn't do it. They do respond well to it. Yes. Yeah. And a part of it is also, even if they didn't respond totally well, I'd still want to do it um, because I want to set good expectations of this is not the final thing. Mm -hmm. So, okay. Next question is thinking of your primary program. How many meetings or coaching sessions are in your program? And 
and uh, we said exclude short check-in calls. Now, you would think if there's a three-month program, we would have a three-session meeting. And this is where we start to see, oh, there's a lot more overlap than we thought. So 53.8% of people said it is six sessions. And it is all across the board, whether it's a three-month program, a two-month program, a uh, four-month program, a six-month program, once every month. Uh, And then most of the other ones are grouped right around six sessions, right? There are a couple that are two sessions or one session, right? So about 15% of people said either two or one sessions, right? But most of them, most of the rest are four, five, seven, or eight, right? So six is like literally right in the middle of four, five, seven, and eight, And six is the most common answer. And so what we're seeing is while the length of the programs are pretty much the all over the place with regards to what people offer, uh, while shorter programs are um, are much more common, around six coaching sessions tends to be where everyone kind of groups. Now, some people are a little bit less, some people a little bit more. That probably has a lot to do with the needs of the specific niche. And so this isn't to say six is the right number, but it's probably a good place to start as thinking about and then identifying, should I shave off one or two or should I add one or two, right? Kind of as our starting point for a framework. For you guys, what are your sessions? How many sessions do you have in the onboarding process and that initial heavy work process. I'm, I'm actually down to three now. So uh, is that one per month then? Yeah. Yeah. And I do that because of my niche. Um, and again, every niche is different. So my niche is typically hard to get them in a meeting. And so I, there's no way I'm going to get them in a meeting twice a month. It's just, it would be impossible. And so while I, my idea, idea was originally, okay, I'll just send it out over six months they lost interest over time. And so I just said, you know what, I'm going to chop it. I can get everything done in three months. It's quick. But then I also continue quarterly coaching sessions after that to go back and say, okay, Hey, let's revisit what's changed, you know? And so it helps it kind of, well, I'm not doing six coaching sessions anymore. That quarterly coaching session helps kind of cover those things that I, that I used to cover in months four through six. And then for me, it's six. So it's twice a month for three months. So yeah, it, we kind of fit in there. <laughs> yeah. Uh, for me, it's four, right? And that is a beginning. It's just a 20 minute session for connecting technology and going through the, Hey, this is, you know, we have three pieces of technology that we use. And so we go through all of those technologies, make sure everything's up and running there. Um, ask some really basic questions and then uh, three full one hour sessions after that. Right. So mine is actually kind of a little more like yours. I don't have an official first meeting, but I have an optional one. If they want, if they are having trouble with the software, they can schedule a meeting with me. And so um, I do, I now introduce it by video instead of what I used to do during a coaching session. And so I've kind of streamlined a little bit that way by doing some videos. So that's helped me kind of narrow that down a little bit. Yeah. Clients, I have found that clients really like videos. 
Like if they get up, especially if it's personalized, even if it's not personalized, if it feels personalized, like, Ooh, they have, this is cool. Like it's my coach. It's that the extra face-to-face time without having the face-to-face time. Yeah. Um, we're not going to talk a lot about the six sessions individually because we have an entire set of questions around what happens in each of the six sessions that we'll dive into more. Um, okay. So getting into that meeting one. So when we're talking about the primary program, the primary thing that they offer and that first initial push with the client, right? What is the main purpose of the first coaching session? Uh, these questions are going to be, we've put our thumb on the scale for these questions. <laughs> You'll see a lot of commonality, uh, especially early on, mainly because in launch, we talk about um, the the process that we go through is the CFP process, right? And so that that as the baseline, as the underlying model, really does kind of develop out and we, we see that coming. Uh, the reason we do the CFP process is because it is incredibly rigorously tested. It is tested for success by financial advisors. It's tested for success by um, acad- academics, right? Because CFP programs are in colleges. Um, it's tested for success with clients. It's tested for success with financial advisors being able to sell their services, right? And so just in a wide variety of ways, that process is just shown to be much more successful from both a, biz- a business and a client success standpoint. Right. So meeting one is client goals, wishes, and stresses, right? Uh, no one actually does setting up software. Uh, so maybe you and I should have answered these questions, uh, but we don't have anyone that says in meeting one, it's setting what's, up software. What's the dark blue wedge? Because so, I think that's on the second page. Yeah. You hit the down arrow with the two. Oh, okay. I yeah. used to cover both the goals and setting up software in my first meeting, but but goals was still the primary, which I think is how I answered the question. Yeah. Um, gathering client data is the second tied for second, right? And then niche specific is also tied for second. And then some people actually jump into developing a budget. A very small percentage of people jump into developing a budget. Uh, one of the challenges with doing that up front, and you guys could talk to your experiences with, if you have tried to experiment with this, is there's just not enough information to actually develop a budget, right? Which drives me insane. Like trying trying to develop a budget without having all the information is a challenge for me. So I, I'm thinking about what you said you do, Josh, with the fake budget. Like if I went into it knowing it was fake and the client knew it was fake, not as well, inaccurate, would I struggle with that less? Because I want to know literally every single detail, which is my Mm -hmm. YNAB brain coming in. Like I want all of the things. And so the idea of trying to do it right at the beginning without, unless there's heavy pre-work with getting all of the information in and everything, like I, I want to know what they want because then we can focus on it and then we can talk about it and then we can move into gathering all the information and all of that. Yeah. What about you, Emily? I've found that 
so one of the things I've, I've done recently with some, a few clients is we've been building a calendar of fixed expenses in money coach. And so we don't do it during the first meeting. We actually, I do it in between meetings, actually do it for them. And then in the second meeting, we talk about the results. So that basically sets the budget for those fixed expenses only. And then it's up to them to figure out all the discretionary expenses, right? To put the budget to that. So it's kind of being built kind of in between. Mm-hmm. Um, I just started this recently. So this is way, this is way after the survey. Yeah. Uh, but I found that to be really helpful for people to see like how much of their money is already accounted for. So how much of their income is, and in some cases it's really high. And then they, they kind of get scared and say, oh gosh, we need to change some stuff, which is good. I mean, I want them to see like, Hey, you know, you're barely making ends meet. And it's because of all your fixed expenses. And so um, it kind of gives them that eye-opening moment of, but they need to make some changes basically. So I, I have not built a budget ever in a first meeting. I haven't even dabbled in it. I've had clients ask for it. And I, that's when I offered this, Hey, let's just focus on your fixed expenses first, but having the data is critical, right? So that's why the linking of the accounts and having that data in money coach has been so critical to be able to get to that next step. Yeah. And I, I, I like, you know, what I'm seeing here with, 60% over 60% of people saying client goals, wishes, and stresses as the first thing that they do in the first meeting, because I want you to think about, right? Whatever budget you're going to build is going to be based on what is important, right? And that's, that's the whole point of budgeting is figuring out what is important and what is not important. If you don't know what the client goals, wishes, and stresses are, then how do you know what's important? And here's the answer. You do know what's important. You know what's important to whom? Me. To me. Yeah. <laughs> right. You, when you start with building the budget, with developing the budget, and keep in mind, 61% say client goals and wishes, 15, 15% say say gathering client data, 15.5% say a niche specific category, right? So all of these are, we're not building the budget yet, which means all pretty much all of these are 7% or not, but pretty much all of these are, let's make sure that we are not imposing our values on the client. And I think that's one of the really important reasons why um, it's important not to build the budget or even start on the budget in any real way in the first meeting, right? I would argue that, yes, by, by default, using the calendar function in Money Coach to create all of the standardized fixed expenses going forward into the future, right? What you do, Emily, um, it it has the effect of starting to build the budget, but you're not actually building the budget there. You're gathering client financial data. That's true. Right? Yeah. And and you're identifying stresses. Yeah. Right. So you're kind of doing a little bit of both in that. Right. Yeah. And I, I think that's one of the important things of why ordering is so important, because if we don't have the order correct, then we end up saying, we don't really care what the client cares about. We care about what we care about. And we're setting ourselves up to do that. 
even if we wouldn't want to normally. Yeah. And I'll say for my niche with couples, my primary goal, one of my primary goals, not maybe the primary goal, but one of my top goals is to understand how they're currently handling their money before we're making a budget. Because we can't make a household budget if they have completely separate expenses. They have completely separate, then it's two budgets. And so one of my top goals in that first meeting is going, how does your current household financial ecosystem work? Do you like how it works? As you are heading towards getting married or have just gotten married or wherever you are, are you happy with the way it works? Are we looking to change how it works? What have you thought about? What have you tried figuring out that piece? Because making a budget is completely irrelevant if they currently have separate expenses, but they want to combine. Yeah. Like, okay, well, let's talk about how we're going to do that and what that's going to look like. And then we can make a joint budget and kind of work things together. Or you want to keep things separate? Okay, let's talk about the implications on that and figure out how that'll work. And yeah, there's there's too many scenarios to jump right in. Yeah. And so that would definitely fall into the niche specific. Yep. I don't remember if I said that or if I said client goals, which is because again, it's sort of the overlap like Emily's, but yeah. 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 It, well, it falls into the niche specific, but it's also meta goals, meta wishes and meta exactly. how exactly. we interact with money. Yeah. Yep. Meeting two is uh, what is the main purpose for meeting two? This one, we start to see a lot more variability with it. So we've got uh, the um, preponderance of people, right? The plurality of it at uh, 39% being gathering client data, client financial data. Uh, second category is developing a budget at 23%. And then uh, everything else is relatively small, right? So we've got a whole bunch of other things, everything from uh, setting up software, to um, whatever the client wants to talk about, niche-specific topics, updating the budget. That's likely the person that set up the budget earlier, right? <laughs> so, so a whole bunch of other things elsewhere. This, again, aligns really well with that, that process that we look at and, and work through within launch. Um, gathering client financial data, um, I would uh, I would imagine that the people that are working on a budget, so the 23% of people that are working on a budget in the second meeting, likely have some mechanism for gathering client financial data between meetings. It's not a question we asked, but I would imagine that that is the case, or they are doing both at the same time, meaning as they're building the budget, they're actually asking people to have their statements and their transactions and their other things in front of them, right? Um, one of the nice things about using software is I can give them the link to Money Coach. They connect their accounts, and about eighty percent of the gathering client financial data is done for me, right? And without me having to do anything. Any thoughts on this? Any other thoughts? I have a prediction. So, Emily, if you have a thought, go ahead and share the thought, and then I'll share my prediction. Oh, I'm here prediction. No, I, I don't have anything to add. Okay. <laughs> my prediction is that the farther we get into third meeting, fourth meeting, et cetera, the more diversified things are going to get. Not saying that there aren't going to be trends, but that's my guess. Yes, and it's going to get... Crazy? More colors. I say crazy. Uh, I would say that there's going to be an interesting trend that happens at the end. 
Ooh, okay. I'm excited. Stay tuned for that. Yeah. Yes. 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 So meeting three. Uh, meeting three. Ooh, look is at all those pretty colors. All over the place again, right? <laughs> the most popular answer are analyzing client data, debt strategy, and then a whole bunch of other things. Um, you know, just niche specific topics, goals and wishes, gathering pl- uh, client financial data, right? A whole bunch of uh, random stuff, setting up the software. Um, and so what we see is a much more broad spread with, again, the two big ones being either a debt strategy or analyzing client data. Right. As we look at these two, the this is something that would be really good to delve into in more detail, but my gut tells me that the people that are doing, um, that are not in those two big categories of debt strategy and analyzing client uh, data, they're likely doing more meetings more often. So this third meeting is likely at the beginning of the second month and not in the third month. Mm-hmm. Right. So I think we'd see a, a pretty consistent trend along those lines. Um, it's really hard to say we're going to set up the software three months into the program. <laughs> so, yeah. right. Well, but it's people like like Vanessa who focus on the money mindset first. That's true. Yeah. She doesn't want to go into the software until they are ready for it. And so we actually had a long discussion about, about how to start getting her clients in the money coach and at what point it makes sense. So, so let's talk about that a little bit more um, about that discussion. Cause I think that's a really, really interesting thing to delve into of, and why you don't want to just grab a program off the shelf, but you want to really develop it based on the needs of, of your niche. Right. Yeah. yeah. Now, Vanessa is a licensed therapist, <laughs> right? And so delving really deep into not just the money mindset, but a lot of the behavioral aspects and behavioral health aspects of it is really aligned with her, with her niche and what she does. Right. Um, Which her and- niche is ADHD, clients with ADHD, moms with ADHD, I guess, yeah. specifically. So. So yeah, so she goes months of just dealing with the behavioral stuff, and then she says, "Okay, now let's do the do the numbers." Yeah, okay. which makes sense. Why it's getting more diverse here? Yeah, because yeah. as we go further, the needs of the niche are going to dictate a lot more. Yep. Right? Yeah. Uh, pretty similar thing with the fourth with the fourth meeting, which is we've got uh, looking at emergency and other savings as the quote unquote, big thing at 25%, developing a budget at the second biggest thing, quote unquote, at 18%, and then all over the place with everything else, right? Just, um, you know, basically one person answering something for everything else. Yeah. Yeah. Um, As we go into the fifth meeting, we start to see um, some consolidation around some, uh, some key areas again. Right. So 25% are a niche specific topic. 25% are developing the budget in the fifth meeting. Uh, six, about 18% are, or sorry, 17% are updating the budget. And 17% are, I don't have any meetings that far out. <laughs> yeah. Right. 
And so what we're starting to see is some um, some consolidation around a few key things, right? Uh, specifically uh, around the niche and around the budget. Right. As we move into the sixth meeting, right? That category for I don't have that many meetings starts growing, right? But we we see the biggest categories again. 27% being a niche specific topic and 18% being developing a budget. And so we're starting to see the budget shrinking, which would make sense. The further in you go, the less likely starting the budget is going to make sense. Right. And we're starting to see things that are much more specific about the niche that don't really apply to anyone else start to take over. Right. And correct me if I'm wrong, but I think like if somebody has three meetings on the fourth question, they would say, I don't have any more meetings. And then they would drop out of the rest of the survey. Correct. Right. So it's not, there's not overlap between, yes, right. there's one person who said they don't have meetings after meeting three. So at four, there's one person. Now there's still that one person at five. So this is new people saying now I'm done. Yes. Okay. I wanted to confirm that because I thought I remembered that. And yeah. Yeah. It's not cumulative. We might have to redesign that for next year, but yeah. Yeah. This is the first one. We're supposed to mess yeah. up, right? Yeah. Little test. Yeah. So meeting seven. Uh, now we're getting down to 75% of people. <laughs> okay. That was it. I, I'm done. Right. And we've got a couple little small areas um, and it's, we've got a niche specific topic and then what I argue is a dangerous one. <laughs> would call that i've grouped that with niche specific to some extent let's say what it is first what yeah. it is is whatever the client wants to talk about okay so emily you would group it with niche because well because it, oftentimes i think when people say that it's it's because maybe they have an idea of well, i don't know i think it, I, we'd have to probably talk to the coaches to find out exactly what they mean by that but i suspect that sometimes people are just saying like I made like my quarterly meetings, I have specific things I want to cover, but they're, it's only a part of the meeting. And then I leave the rest of it open to, Hey, if you have something going on in your life, something changed, let's talk about that too. And so that could be that. So to me, in, in, in some ways, it's kind of, it kind of gets grouped with the niche specific, I think, to some extent, we'll have to figure out how we ask this question next year, but yeah. Josh, so I think this is an appropriate answer for a different question, which is I'm done with my primary program. Now we're just doing accountability stuff, right? But I wouldn't even argue that should be primarily driven by something that you're driving, whether that's reviewing transactions, updating the budget, right? Um, you know, when we say I'm going to come in and you're going to tell me what we're going to talk about. It's dangerous for two reasons. Number one, it places, um, it, it places all the onus on the client to figure out how to make progress at that point. Mm. Right. It's I'm no longer actually helping you. I'm going to be a Q and a session for you. And if you don't come up with any cues, you're not getting any A's. Yeah. And there's so some value cool. in providing open Q&A time, but it seems like scheduling an entire meeting around that because it's yeah. all I to me it's always important to leave space for their questions about things. 
So I say, what happened, what came up, that kind of thing. But I would say there's no value. Okay. I want you to think that you're 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 gonna go to the AFC conference, the AFCP yeah. conference, um in uh, when is it happening? November? Yeah. Yeah. Right Thanksgiving. yeah. Yeah. So um, you're going to go to the AFCPE conference and there is a topic that you see on the agenda that you are really, really excited about. Mm-hmm. Right? You're like, oh, this is exactly what I wanted to learn about. It's something very specific about dealing with emotional uh, situations with clients and so on and so forth. Right. And you're like, yeah, th- I've been dealing with this with, with clients. This is something I really want to learn about. And you walk into that conference and the person says, okay, so I'm an expert in this area. And here's my presentation. Q&A time. Right? I would probably have cues. You would, but you're going to be disappointed. Because maybe, maybe there was, not. <laughs> there was something that you wanted to learn, right? Well, yeah. And so I could ask them the question and I could learn it. And then that would spark more questions. And especially in a presentation setting, which is getting away from the specific client, but other people are going to ask questions and I'm going to learn. But the yeah. onus is on the audience. Yeah. But it's not, but it's not that extreme. Okay, wait. So Josh, so I want to I want to yeah, go, go back. Go I'm gonna challenge you here. So yeah, I would love it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> So do we not ask the question or do you, I'm pretty sure you do, ask a question similar to this um, in when a client schedules a meeting, mm-hmm. ask them, what's the number? What's the, yeah. What's the number one thing on your mind? Well, that's not the way I phrase it, but yes. Yes. Something like that. Yeah. I can't think of the right wording, but. Why are you scheduling a meeting with me essentially? Yeah. Well, because, because I've never ever gone to a client meeting where they didn't say, I need this answer today. Never. I've never had somebody not have something specific that they're like, this has been weighing on me and I don't know what to do and I need help with it. Yep. So there's always one thing to talk about at least. So. And granted, that won't take up the whole time. That (laughs) is exactly the problem. Okay. Which is what I said earlier, which was you should probably have some things, but you should also leave time. So like my quarterly session, like I might like right now, my quarter would be, let's talk about the rest of the year because it's the biggest spending time. You got to watch your spending. That's my one number one topic for fourth quarter. So that's to me, it could be niche specific, but to me, it's a specific topic. But then as a secondary, hey, what else is going on in your life is another topic. But we're not talking about what do you include? We're talking about what's the main purpose of the meeting? Yeah. If the main purpose (laughs) meeting is I don't have a main purpose I'm just going to do whatever you want then the onus is on the client to make progress if the main purpose of the meeting is we're going to update the budget and make sure that we're prepped for big holiday spending season oh by the way if you have something that's a really big important thing we will set that aside and deal with that because you're stressing out about it or by the way, if in addition to that, you have other things that you want to ask questions about, both of those are really valuable and good. But it can't be the main purpose of the meeting is I'm coming in and expecting the client to drive the meeting. Right. So it sounds like we're all kind of saying the same thing. And yeah. leaving space for clients to ask questions is really important. Extremely important. meeting without a reason is not good. Do we... you, you are the coach. You are the one driving the process. 
meaning you have to have a purpose for every single meeting that you schedule. And it can't be just whatever you want to talk about. I was you just going to go into your purpose full... aside, right? I you was just going to go. Your purpose aside. Yeah, go ahead, go ahead. I was going to go into full devil's advocate mode and start throwing out fringe scenarios, but I'm not going to do that. We don't need to waste time on that. <laughs> well, I was just going I'll, to. I'll tamp down that part of my nature that likes to do that. <laughs> Two questions. One, should we make this a future topic? It Probably. Like, yeah. yeah. It sounds like we could talk about this, so we'll yeah. add that. And then with two, all three of us again. <laughs> with two, do we want to leave? Maybe we should just consider this separately, but do we want to consider taking this option out of the next survey if we don't think that it's no, because we want to understand what people are doing, even if okay. what they're doing is dangerous. Right. Okay. I thought right. you were gonna say wrong, and I'm like, oh man. Yeah. Um, you know, and, and that makes me want to say, should we put in investing topics or other things just to see, right? To be able to identify what percentage of, of coaches, oh. right? They, they might be doing both. So yeah, maybe we should be adding that. In. Right. Yeah. yeah. And we, um, if we do that, we need to make sure that we don't assume that everybody who is talking about that is not is doing it illegally because we all that they are registered it's possible that they want to ask another question about licensing yes. so that we'll ask about licensing too yeah yep. yeah um okay. as we look at meeting eight right um again same two questions coming up the uh you know say same three things coming up right uh basically one person is left saying i have no uh Peace out. This, yeah, and then niche specific and um, and whatever the client wants to talk about. Uh, nine, same thing, <laughs> right? Yeah. So not, I don't have any sessions after this, and whatever the client wants to talk about. I have a hunch. I my hunch is that the person who I was, I'm assuming it's the same person saying it's whatever the client wants to talk about. I have a hunch that they do accountability after yeah. and so they have sort of we talk about these specific topics and then for the next you know whether it's every other week for three months or for the next once a month for six months or whatever we just meet up and check in on how things are going and talk about whatever they want to talk about that's yeah. my those lunch. could be short 15 minute meetings probably which is also possible yeah. Yeah. yeah and so that that is a survey design issue that we will have to fix yes right? <laughs> Yeah, this is this is why we talk about in launch when you're doing research, do actual research with actual like super official studies that have done, if you're taking things as fully factual, because obviously our survey is not, we don't have a huge response group, we haven't, you know, hired people who officially write questions, etc. But there's still there's still value, we just can't take it as this is indicative of literally everything. And then basically, we just sort of go interesting going back and forth between yeah. each specific topic and uh, I wonder if things I well, wonder if it's like twice a month once a month is we're going to talk about this thing once a month is a quick check-in meeting to just make sure things Could are be. going okay yeah. once a month, that's yeah. yeah and then they and then that person says client goals and wishes and but it's at, yeah months so they're they're now checking in with them to see how it progresses over time, which is a yeah. I'm going to say very good practice that that yeah. person. Has. Yeah, yeah. So you know that is those are the kind of answers to the questions that we're looking at. I imagine that the person that was still doing meetings at that point has them going on uh, 
beyond the 12 months, right? So that is our inaugural survey. We will, a year from now, do another big survey and see with broader topics. Yes. Yeah, and watch for the survey coming out because it will come out probably early next year sometime. And have we decided what audience we're pulling from? Are we just doing FCN members again? Are we doing I think we're going to broaden it. Yeah. All right. Yeah. We're going to broaden it and we're going to try to look for um, commonalities amongst FCN members versus non-FCN members. So we'll, we'll be, we'll be looking at a wide variety of things to try to see, um, patterns. Mm-hmm. So. And we'll make sure that we, I know we have a few podcast listeners who are not in the Facebook group who are not FCN members. So we'll make sure that we link to that in show notes, mention it in future episodes, et cetera, sort of around the time that it's out so that yeah. those of you who are listening, but not on Facebook or in FCN can participate as well. Well, and I would say a third thing is if you don't want to rely on the podcast, we will definitely be putting it out through our monthly yeah. newsletter. So go to financialcoachesnetwork.com, sign up for the monthly newsletter. 98% of it is helpful. 2% is promoting us. <laughs> um, I'm not sure how that works when it's not hugely long, but I'll, we'll go for it. <laughs> We don't promote ourselves very often. That's so, right, not right. as much as some other groups. <laughs> yeah. So, the vast majority of the time, it's nothing but helpful information. And then there's just promotions every once in a while. Right. Yeah. Um, and so, when we look at that idea, um, we will definitely put out an invite to the survey through that. So, that's another yep. way that you can get it. Yep. Have fun. All right. Cool. Bye, everybody. Bye. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Financial Coaches Network podcast. If you enjoyed it, please subscribe so you'll be the first to know when new episodes are released. Uh, It also helps iTunes and everything else know that you liked it and suggest it to other people. And if you can think of one person, a financial coach or someone aspiring to be, who would connect with what we talked about today, share it with them as well. If you're ready to take the next step and build your successful financial coaching business, FCN has turnkey resources to help you get clients, work with clients effectively, and run your business efficiently. Head to Financial Coaches Network backslash start here or Financial Coaches Network backslash stall if you're Sean Connery. Thank you again for listening, and we'll catch you on the next episode of the Financial Coaches Network podcast.